0: Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with the living Earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I speak with Drew Hansen, co-founder of Uplift, an online curriculum and lesson library that draws upon the best of the world's wisdom traditions and modern scientific research to help parents provide a spiritual foundation for their children. Drew discusses the origin of Uplift, the science behind spiritual parenting, the importance of a holistic education and instilling virtues in children for their later success in life, and Uplift as a model of a business that's core mission is contributing to the common good. Drew Hansen is co-founder of Uplift, a curriculum and lesson library helping parents give their kids a spiritual foundation. Before helping to found Uplift, Drew built and sold three companies, consulted several in the Fortune 500, and published over 100 articles in Forbes on topics such as creativity, innovation, strategy, leadership, team building, and economic system change. But despite the success, these experiences caused him to question whether business is indeed a force for good. Uplift emerged out of this disillusionment and represents the change he wishes to see in the world. Drew, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio.
1: Thanks, Nick. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Yes, I'm happy uh, to have you join me. Uh, From your biography, you have been on a very interesting journey from business to co-founding an organization designed to help parents raise spiritual kids. I really do want to focus on the organization Uplift, but I have to ask you if you could tell the listening audience uh, a bit about your journey uh, leading you to
1: creating Uplift. You bet. Uh, it's been a long, circuitous, <clears throat> surprising journey in many ways. And uh, I think looking back on it, connecting the dots, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I've had a lifelong fascination with learning and development I grew up in the suburbs outside Washington D.C. I grew up uh, Mormon in the LDS Church, and that was a central part of our of our uh, of our lives. And uh, I think because of that, I you know was encouraged to explore spiritual questions to some degree. And yet, I think based on certain circumstances in my home and um, you know growing through adolescence, I kind of disconnected from some of those spiritual longings and um, aspects of, of who I am and got really focused on the external markers. You know, What did I need to do to succeed in the world and to, to belong and fit in? And for me, that was about business. And it was about, uh, yeah, going into to that arena and succeeding there. And so I, after graduating from, from college, I went to work for Bain & Company as a management consultant and uh, a few years later, joined an early stage startup that we sold to Forbes. And then, as you mentioned in my bio, you know, I also wrote for Forbes for a long time, even after I, I left. And then I worked as an executive at a phenomenally successful tech company called Qualtrics. And uh, I left Qualtrics coming up on five years ago because of this tension I felt in myself right? that I had... Uh, I had kind of gone down this one path. And yet, in the last 10 years, I've been in like a reclamation, rediscovering the sort of spiritual part of myself in, in, a, in a more authentic way. And eventually, those two things felt at odds. And so, um, you know, uplift really for me is born out of my desire to give kids maybe what I wish I'd had as a kid, um, more of a protected space to explore my spiritual curiosity and discover what was true for me. And also to do, you know, to, so, so to have space and latitude for that exploration, but to also, you know, have guidance and some structure and and support from, from elders in that regard. Um, and I can say more maybe later about, you know, specifically Uplift and how it came to be, but um, yeah that's, that's been the journey. Okay. Wonderful. Can I ask
0: what was so disillusioning? Was it about being in business? Uh, Was it just this personal spiritual journey or is there something else at play?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a big question. (laughs) And uh, I think what I would say about it is we're certainly all embedded in a system Mm -hmm. and that, that system privileges certain certain things. It has its own values, uh, the maximization of profit, and there are other other aspects of being human that aren't really recognized in that system. that That are hard or impossible to quantify. And uh, for me personally, I, and I don't know if everybody's going to have the same experience in business that, that I did, but for me where so much of my life centers on, uh, my spiritual practice. Uh, there were ways in which I felt, you know, I felt like kind of life saying, Hey, you're here to do something else. And, uh, although it may be hard and it may be uh, confusing, it's time to like move on.
0: Yeah. It's very interesting. It reminds me a little bit. I wish I could remember his name. I actually feel pretty bad that I don't, but there was a Uh, executive, uh, I think he was the CEO of a textile company. And he had a kind of awakening when he read, I think it was uh, E.O. Wilson. And it was Mm -hmm. this line in Wilson that referred to the death of life Mm -hmm. uh, because of all the ecological changes. Um, And he realized that his company was contributing to this death of life. And uh, that made him make all these uh, very massive changes in the company. Um, but it seems like instead of working within business, you decided to go outside of business to uh, create change.
1: Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I, I, <clears throat> I agree. Maybe to make a, put a finer point on, on my earlier comment, you know, capitalism for it to continue to grow needs to take more and more of life and commodify it Mm. and put a price tag on it. And and that has disastrous consequences for our ecology, for our our habitat, which is earth. Uh, I've been really interested in this question of what's the relationship between personal transformation and social change. And that's been a lot of my journey since I left Qualtrics and it's an inquiry I continue to hold even as um, I'm part of building Uplift. Uh, Uplift is a business, and there's like a meta intention within Uplift to do business in a different way. Mm. Because for me, it's not like business is not bad, but there are certain ways in which business has evolved and how it fits into the broader economic system that I think more and more people are waking up to and asking hard questions about. And so in a way, I'm part of um, a new movement in business, a different breed of entrepreneur that really is putting purpose first and profit uh, exists to fuel that purpose. And it's not about maximizing profit. It's about financial sustainability, but also an awareness of all the stakeholders and bringing more and more, you know, awareness of all the different perspectives, including the perspective of our of nature into our actions. So there's an ethics, yeah, that I want to see infused into business. Yeah,
0: I like that. And it in my mind, it goes back to the entire notion of the commonwealth, which I think gets connected to the idea of the common good. And that's what businesses really are supposed to be about, not just making as much money as you can
1: possibly make, but making the world a better place. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a whole nother, there's a whole nother conversation to be had on yeah, yeah. that topic, but right. you know, we, our government uh, extends business corporations, a lot of rights and uh, and really the origin of kind of the corporate charter is to deliver like a public good. And, and that's been lost. And there's, there's a movement afoot to, to reclaim that and integrate that. And, hmm. and I think up you know, uplift is, one small instance or expression in that broader movement. Okay. Uh,
0: Yeah. That would be a very different conversation. So maybe at some (laughs) point I'll uh, have you back so we can talk about that. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, But let's look at uplift. Um,
0: What is it? What is uplift?
1: Yeah. I think like, like you mentioned uh, in the intro, uplift exists to give kids a strong spiritual foundation. And the way that we do that at uplift currently is by, helping parents create spiritual experiences at home with their children. And the, the specific form it takes is uh, a lesson library. We've, we now have over 60 lessons in our digital library available on our website. And every week we publish a new one. The topics range, they really run the gamut. On the one hand, we cover topics like classic virtues that are found across culture, across time. Think uh, forgiveness, kindness, compassion, honesty, stuff like that. We also cover though, on, on kind of the other end of the spectrum, much more timely topics and ones that maybe aren't as obviously spiritual in nature. Think anxiety, bullying, digital technology. But regardless of the topic, we look at it through two main lenses. One is ancient wisdom and the other is modern science and at uplift we're really interested in where do these two lenses intersect where they overlap like what do they have in common and then also like what does each lens uniquely reveal i can stop there i can say i can say more but um at (laughs) at a high level yeah that's what we're doing currently at uplift Okay. Um, What was, uh, you've got the inspirations
0: uh, from the ancient wisdom. And I really appreciate the fact that you do draw from most, if not all of the world's wisdom traditions, or at least the plan is to incorporate as many as you can. But what is the inspiration from modern science? What does modern science have to tell us about spirituality and Mm -hmm. raising spiritual kids?
1: so much, um, on, a couple, on a couple different levels. So on, on the one hand, I think a lot of our, our early customers are folks who come from a religious background and yet they're, they're in a process or they've gone through a process of uh, differentiating from religion. They've either disaffiliated from it entirely and, and no longer like identify as being religious or part of that of their native faith tradition uh, or you know they have carved out something that's more authentic for them, but still you know identify that way. But in either case, they have a little bit of they're they're a little hesitant about certain claims that are made, right? And so science provides some reassurance, especially in the realm uh, of parenting, to say, hey, look, like there's evidence here. It's been peer reviewed um, that by by initiating a conversation on this topic and kind of holding it in this way, you're really supporting your child's healthy development. So that that's like a really practical reason why we want to bolt, you know, bolster whatever we're drawing upon from ancient wisdom with, with the latest science. I'd also go farther to say, you know, science is its own spiritual endeavor. Like when you, mm. when you kind of get underneath, Scientific materialism and maybe certain modes of science that are exclusively kind of celebrated today, you get down, down to the essence of it. I and mean, we've been scientists for eons, right? You know, the, the scientific method, maybe in, in the way that we understand it, is, you know, kind of born out of the, the Enlightenment. But really, like, we've been experimenting and asking questions for as long as humans have been around. And I think of, you know, I think of Einstein, I think of Carl Sagan. and and some things that they've said about kind of the spirit of science. Mm. And I think we want to really include that too in what we're doing at Uplift.
0: Yeah. I like that quite a bit because there's this ongoing tension, or at least a perceived um, tension in the United States between religion and science, but it doesn't have to be the same between spirituality and science. I wanted to ask um and this is a very loaded question um the grounding here is in spirituality how do
1: you and how does uplift how are you defining spirituality it's an important question and i'm glad you ask for our purposes when we talk about spirituality And we've looked across a lot of different definitions, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I think the one that we uh, hinge our work on the most is the one that I've heard Dr. Lisa Miller out of Columbia university, professor of psychology, I've heard her talk about, and she defines it as the transcendent relationship. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a personal relationship with a higher power that may go by any number of different names, God. Uh, nature, life, the universe, spirit, um, other names that we may come up with. Um, but there's a there's an inborn faculty in humans, she's found, to connect with something larger. And this definition has been the one that social scientists have been able to uh, organize around and conduct some really compelling research that has found... Uh, just how important this kind of personal spirituality is to human well-being and flourishing.
0: Yeah, I uh, started reading uh, Dr. Miller's book uh, in preparation uh, for this conversation. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't get to finish it, Uh, but I think she made a very important point was that according to her, the research shows that spirituality or helping to provide a uh, spiritual grounding for children is probably the best thing that you, a parent can do to ensure the
1: success of a grown child uh, as an adult. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the evidence is just now starting to eke out of the academy. And I would say a part of Uplift's mission is to evangelize and to get the word out because the science is really compelling. Mm-hmm. And it you know, what she has found is that, uh, you know, children who grow up with this kind of personal spirituality have lower rates of depression, substance abuse, high risk behavior. Uh, they're really more prepared to navigate the inevitable ups and downs of life. Mm-hmm. So across medicine, across what we have in science, it has been found to be the single, most effective, protective factor.
0: I think that this is also very timely what you're doing because the United States right now is in this seemingly transformation of religion and spirituality. The largest growing, or I should say the fastest growing demographic in the United States are people who identify as spiritual, but not religious. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that often, and you know, scholarship is just beginning on all of this, and scholars are still, you know, kind of groping around in the dark to try to understand this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to be driven in part by uh, feeling that traditional religions aren't meeting essential needs, uh, but with spirituality, there's there seems to be this private aspect to it or at least that's how it's viewed and I like that you're providing a resource for parents so that they don't actually have to do all of this on their own mm-hmm. you know there's there's a uh, place to go for help so let me ask um, how does uplift work
1: yeah so I mean what might be helpful is to talk about a couple of specific lessons that we offer at Uplift. Um, The first one that comes to mind is one on lineage, Mm -hmm. specifically telling family stories. This, this um, topic is an interesting one, because, you know, it's not like overtly spiritual, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's an accessibility to the topic. So whether um, someone is coming from a place of belief, or non belief, uh, there's, there's interest in family, Right. And, and so every lesson start, every lesson follows a similar format and that format is designed to be flexible, but also to make it really easy so that a parent could sit down with little to no prep and just start a conversation and have an experience together. And so to do that, we begin by giving a parent a preparation guide that maybe they use, maybe they don't, but it helps them orient to the topic. And so, we give them reflection questions They can begin to introspect on what's their relationship to this topic we um we select passages from wisdom texts uh, as a way to almost perfume the air right and to to invite them into the 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 long stream you know that this topic is important because it goes back through the ages and um, and then we also give them uh, a selection of maybe more in-depth resources if they feel like they want to understand maybe more of the theoretical basis and the science on it other practical tips but along the way we you know we're really kind of like curating like here's here's the nugget this is what this is what we think is most important for you to take away and here's more detail if you want it And then this preparation guide ends with the science. And so it's kind of bookended with the wisdom and the science. And that often will really drive home the point, like this is why it matters. Like this is like the practical benefit that your youth can can gain from you implementing this lesson. And then we have uh, kind of like a recommended lesson flow with an opening activity. It's meant to be engaging, uh, gather attention. Oftentimes it's movement, it could be a game. And it really kind of sets the tone and, and, and kicks off some engagement before moving into sections that are age specific. And so we have sections that are geared for teens. We have a section that's more for uh, kids that are maybe eight to 12 and then for littles, you know, kids that are under the age of, uh, of eight and, and then a closing family activity. And so the whole lesson though carries the through line that's consistent and we also, it's important to us, one of our principles of our approach is to be um, age-appropriate, developmentally informed. And so we're really kind of doing the work to translate. Like, how do you take this complex idea and simplify it so that a five-year-old can get it? Mm-hmm. And they, their participation in the, if it's the whole family together, their particip- participation may be you know, different, but that they can be there and that they can be a part of that experience. And that's important because we really believe that uh, the spiritual journey is a shared journey. And, you know, in my conversations with parents, some of them have a little bit of hesitation to get started because they feel like, you know, I don't have the answers. And I think like what we're here to say and what the science even says is actually the answers aren't all that important. What's, what's more important is that you show up and that you respect the questions that your kids are asking and that you give them some room to explore and also, you know, like you can offer your, you know, your, your point of view, um, but that that's more important than, than having any kind of pat answer.
0: Yeah, I like that. And that was something I did get to in the uh, Miller book, the spiritual child, where she said that, you know, when a child asks a question, uh, especially a question in regards to spirituality, don't just answer with, I don't know because that shuts down the conversation, but rather engage with the child. Um, And like you just said, it's, you know, the answer isn't what's important. It's the exploration. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, uh, You answered a lot of questions that uh, I was going to ask uh, in terms of things like uh, the practices and the exercises, um, which I think is uh, exceptionally uh, important. Uh, Can you give an example of one of the exercises you mentioned, for example, family lineage um, and having a child
1: uh, explore that what might be a uh, exercise that would go with that? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because that lesson uh, is really anchored in research about the intergenerational identity of a child. And so there's, there's research, I forget the specific research that was done, but the, the gist of it is that uh, researchers have found that when children understand that they come from somewhere and that they understand that there have been both ups and downs in their family history, they, they form this connection to their roots so that then when they go through ups and downs, they don't ever feel alone. And it's common in different families in the family culture to privilege the up or the down, right? Either we're we're successful and there's this pressure to continue to succeed and to continue that trajectory or we lost everything and we're victims. And really, right, life is more complex than that. And to prepare children to be resilient, uh, they need to understand kind of both, both ends of the spectrum. And so I share that because uh, the lineage lesson takes about a dozen questions that these researchers put to the test and said like, these are the questions that when your child can answer them uh, are proven in the data to correlate with uh, resilience over time. And there, you know, in some cases it's just kind of like, do you know where your mother and father met, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know like basic questions like that to to more, uh, I don't know, stories and, and whatnot. And so in the lineage lesson, there's really an invitation to tell some stories and if you don't know some of the stories to maybe even do a little bit of research so that you can Um, but we scale those questions uh, down in a way that even a young child can take a basic family tree and draw pictures or uh, i know one customer who created a more interactive activity where she took um, printouts photos of um the their you know her parents and 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 her, her her family and they spread them out in the home and like the you know young kids went on like a little scavenger hunt to find and then kind of put them into the family tree and that was their way of helping their youngest children connect to the idea
0: i like that and that leads me to another question i had um as i had said earlier the One of the concerns I have with the movement towards spirituality is that it's often seen as being very individual. And Uplift, from what I can tell, is definitely encouraging family engagement and connection. But I was also wondering about the creation of a broader community, um, especially for the parents, you know, it seems to me that they may uh, appreciate being able to share experiences with other parents. So you just gave an example of a parent who created this activity. Is there a way for the parents who are participating in Uplift to share these
1: sorts of ideas with other uh, parents? Yeah. And, and I'll, I'm going to get to that question, but I want to start yeah. first by saying, to your point about the individual nature of this movement towards spirituality and spiritual but not religious, that is at the heart of why we wanted to create Uplift because there were four of us who've founded Uplift and we were in a, a program together through a mindfulness community and there was nothing in the program that, you know, asked us to go and create something like this, but we were definitely in a, in a container, in a, in a space where we were paying close attention to ourselves and to the experiences of our fellow participants. And in the group, there were a lot of folks who had uh, you know, started to, had, had gone through some process of shifting their relationship to religion. And even if they were feeling settled in what their answer is individually as an adult, we, we, what we sensed as what became the uplift team was a lot of struggle and we felt a lot of pain because it was like, well, what do I teach my kids? And so what you're pointing to is like just right at the heart of of why we're creating uplift. And I say that because from the beginning, we've intended some form of community. And it's a question that we're living into. Uh, You know, we don't really have real formal ways for that kind of community aspect to be expressed currently. But for example, I received a video from one of our customers about a month ago, and it was her with uh, a friend, a neighbor, the neighbor who actually referred her to Uplift, their families together on a Sunday going through an Uplift lesson. And so there's a kind of like organic collaboration that's already beginning to happen. And I think there's more that we can do to grease that and, you know, lubricate that and make that easier over time. Mm-hmm. I think we're also really interested in, I mean, the word community is tricky. It's like, well, what, it can become kind of amorphous. Like, what do we actually mean when we talk about community? One aspect that we're, I think, beginning to, to work on is how do we create more in the way of peer-to-peer support and how do we create more room for even just so, socializing among parents who are choosing to prioritize this? Um, there's like kind of like-mindedness and so... I think, you know, we have ways online, I think through, through virtual calls that we may begin to um, offer a forum for this kind of connection to happen. What I'm most excited about with Uplift is not so much that Uplift would own and operate a community. Uh, it's not so much about a central uh, organization offering it. And this is a bit of like a, a deviation or a, you know, a, maybe going to say like an innovation on the more traditional hierarchical church model is that uplift is a platform. And so what we're doing is we are, we are making um, it possible to access and enact timeless wisdom today and to translate that down across every age. And so I think in the future, we may be doing a lot more to offer tools, kits to support member led Social gatherings. Like I'm interested in, in how we can support parents in creating, and creating a culture in their own home that's authentic to them, where they can build their own canon. This is what we believe, and that it's alive and dynamic because uh, they can create meaning with their kids within their families, and then they can deconstruct that meaning, and it can kind of continue to ebb and flow in different ways. And I think that we see that they could do this with other families that they, they find through uplift and create community in their cul-de-sac right in their backyard. But it's a vision. It's a vision we want to live into. It's not one that we're, um, you know, focused on today.
0: Yeah. Um, I like this focus on the, uh, the family, and uh, I also personally, truly appreciate the focus on uh, building and uh, virtues. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, That's actually one of my uh, specialties is virtue theory. And I think that's really important. And I think it answers a objection that comes from some religious communities in regards to People who might identify as spiritual but not religious because they may say, well, but we're the ones who have family values. Mm. Uh, and it seems to me that you're proving them wrong, that family values are perfectly capable of being um, practiced and explored
1: and celebrated in alternative spiritualities as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. um, So, I mean, family values is an interesting phrase, right? Uh, And it's not like, uh, I don't know, traditional religions have a monopoly on family. Um, But there's a way in which a certain definition of family has been bound up in, uh, you know, traditional religious observance, at least in some, some traditions, some communities. And I think a part of what we're doing at Uplift is, saying we wanna actually include the emphasis on family that like the family structure, the family unit is a bedrock of, of humanity, of human civilization. And it's um, a site of struggle and, and it's a context where uh, consciousness can be raised. And yet what makes a family is evolving. Right and how we define family is is evolving, and so like I'm really excited about the potential and uplift to be supporting families of all kinds of different configurations, Mm -hmm. right? That who nevertheless like love is at the is at the center. So that's just I guess a word about family values, right? Um, But you know you link that to to virtue, and I would say um, virtue was like a natural place for us to start at with uplift because you know, you can scan the wisdom traditions and you can look across culture and across time and you see these same ideas popping up. Um, And so regardless of what tradition you adhere to or don't, and regardless of where you are on a spectrum of belief, people can get behind these universal virtues. Mm -hmm. And, And so that's like a really useful starting point for us, but it goes farther than that. Because with spiritual practice, I mean how, how does one measure the value of spiritual practice? That's a you know that's a question that's beyond my pay grade. But what I'm really interested in is how one's awakening leads to a natural expression in the, of engagement in the world and of service in the world. And virtue for me is a really important dimension of capturing that. That are, and again, it goes back to this inquiry that I've been in for the last number of years about the relationship between one's growth and transformation and social change. And I'm interested in living in a more beautiful world. And I believe that that world becomes more and more, not only possible, but imminent um, when more and more humans in the rising generation uh, are living lives of virtue.
0: Yes, I agree. Absolutely, completely. Um, You know, it's Aristotle said that, you know, virtue was necessary for a flourishing life. And I always interpret that not just for the individual, but for the collective society as well. Um, That if we lose sight of virtue, we create a pretty nasty world. Um, So it's necessary.
1: Yeah, I mean, and maybe just to link it back to the, the very beginning of our conversation about uh, capitalism and the economy. I mean, like we, you know, these structures come from ideas that have been um, kind of reified and then uh, you know, at the exclusion of maybe other ideas. And so we're living in a world right now where, you know we have this like excessive utilitarianism and this like cult of quantification mm-hmm. And we're also living in a moment, as you pointed out, where more and more folks are disaffiliating from religion and this kind of um, deontology and and a a more kind of top-down morality. And so I think you're really, you know, kind of exposing um, what we're excited about with Uplift is that we're really kind of focusing on this like universal ethics, virtue ethics, right, in Aristotle's language, that um, there's a reason to do, to live in a certain way that goes beyond um, calculating what's the greatest good and, or just because uh, a Supreme being told you so. Right. Exactly.
0: Absolutely. I wanted to also speak to you a little bit. Uh, you published an article on medium in early September that was titled how to help today's anxious kids prepare for the uncertain future ahead. And I really appreciated uh, the article, and I'll provide a link for it in the show notes in the video description. The article was informed by Aldous Huxley's final novel, Island. And I think that Uplift is very much informed uh, by these ideas. Uh, I could definitely see comparisons when I was reading your article. Huxley argues for a holistic education, Uh, and I was wondering if you could say a few words about uh, what a holistic education is
1: and how that fits into the curriculum at Uplift. Sure. In simple terms, holistic education to me means body, mind, spirit, body, heart, mind, spirit, body, heart, mind, soul, spirit. There's different gradations of it, but it's really understanding um, the whole human being and seeking to develop all of those parts. But I also think that there's um, a way in which holistic education, it's not just like you're in the classroom and uh, we're now training the mind and then oh, it's time for recess or it's time for sports. It's it's really how do you begin to like integrate that to where, um, I actually kind of recently participated in a in a training at a Waldorf school, and you know Waldorf takes a position as being holistic in their approach, and there are you know, pros and cons to their approach and whatnot. But I was really taken with the quality of the teaching that I was able to witness and receive. And the example I'm thinking of right now is learning. I think it was like fourth grade grammar by memorizing a poem through through choreographed movement, mm. and it just was like this. This is not the education that I had growing up, and I had a really phenomenal public school education in Fairfax County at the time. But but there was also one that was geared towards academics and right mm-hmm. certain outcomes, um, and so that I guess that to me is an example of. Um, holistic education at play. And I want to say too, that like, I'm not a, I'm not a educator by professional background, but what I would say is that like, I'm a fan, like I'm a fan of good teaching. And uh, I feel like a kind of kindred spirit with the producer, the music producer, Rick Rubin. I don't know if you know who Rick Rubin is i know the name but i'm not familiar he, with he, that. He, yeah so just real quick he, he co-founded uh Def jam records with russell simmons mm. in the 80s he discovered ll cool j he discovered the beastie boys uh, he's won numerous grammy awards he's worked across all kinds of different genres of music and he's not a technically trained uh he's not a sound engineer he's not really a you know a professional musician but when he's asked about it he's like i'm just a fan like he just like loves music and uh, that resonates with me and uh i guess i say that to connect some of the dots about like my involvement in uplift because we talked a bit about my circuitous journey and although i have had a lifelong fascination with learning and development uh i've never been an educator uh and and i've always i've always i guess expressed that interest in the workplace with adults and so it came as a surprise to find myself now working on building something specifically for children teenagers and it also makes a lot of sense because i want to build a more beautiful world and of course if you want to develop a different kind of leader it makes sense to start younger and to support all of who they are so anyways that's just a some context on like kind of my relationship to holistic education and my understanding of it in terms of uplift, you know, we have a big vision and we've talked about what it is today. And I can say more about maybe where it might go. I sometimes think about this revisioning of Sunday school because this kind of character development, moral education, kids aren't getting that at school. And I would argue that they're largely not getting it at church either. And so the home becomes this third place where it's possible and where, you know, parents don't have control over all these context context and the media that their, their kids are exposed to, but in the four walls of their own home, they've got a lot of, a lot of influence. And so the way that we're looking at holistic education at uplift, is, I think somatics, so body, you know, kind of body, mind awareness, bringing that in embodiment and movement in a way that, you know, you don't see at school and you don't see um, at church feels really important to us. And then the, you know, we also, although we've talked a lot, we've used the word spirituality a lot in this conversation, you know, there's a whole section in our lesson library about, you know, mental and emotional health. And there's also a way to look at that through a spiritual lens, right? And, and so that's also really important for what we're doing at Uplift and um, really supporting kids in turning back to their own inner knowing, their own, we sometimes call it the inner compass, that there's this inborn faculty that Lisa Miller would say is a, arrives in us as humans fully developed. And it's only as... So, so, so children are fluent in spirituality from the moment that they're born, but they need the cognitive cognitive development and they need these other lines of intelligence to come online to kind of wrap around that and to provide more complex ways for it to be expressed and understood and, and shared. Right.
0: Yeah. At, as a professional educator, uh, I would, I'm always lamenting the state of, public education and, uh, you know, I received a fairly decent uh, education K through 12 and uh, my college experience has been okay. But as an educator, I am very frustrated by the way that education, what education has become. And by the time that students get to me, I feel that this approach is a little bit too late. Um I try to incorporate some things in the classroom, but students are just, their focus is, no, I need to know what answers I have to memorize so I can pass the tests, and then forget about everything in this class. Yeah. Um, and I would so much more appreciate a holistic kind of approach to the education. So I applaud everything that you're doing. In your article, uh, one of the very first, I think it is actually the first Uh, item that you uh, note is in terms of education, is that the study of nature and ecology is necessary to understand that all of life is a relationship. And I was curious because, you know, kids today are facing a very troubling future, especially in regards to climate change.
1: So how does uplift prepare them for dealing with this? Mm such a important question yeah it's multifaceted um so on one level we live in an uncertain future and we're given the next generation a lot to deal with and so the practical skills of how does one regulate their nervous system and how do they how do they recognize anxiety when it's present and how they calm themselves down is just like a an infinitely practical skill to impart for young children. And there's, and we do that through our lessons um, at Uplift. There's also um, in the, in like the form that Uplift takes, I mentioned flexibility. There's nothing to stop our parents, our customers from using Uplift on the go, right? And although we give, a kind of a strong recommendation for here's a way to to a way into this lesson and this topic we have tons of our parents that will um, take a more organic approach and cherry pick an activity out of a lesson and inject it at mealtime or bedtime we also offer a lot of optional activities that are nature-based and so i know of one one family a couple with four boys who uh, near the end of the summer took a Sunday trip up into a Canyon and they were just kind of walking together and they crossed a Creek and they found themselves in a more secluded area. And mom realized, Hey, this might be a time to do a little meditation. We've never done this before. And so she was able to pull out her phone and access our lesson on mindfulness and instruct everyone in the family to sit down and pick a focus rock. And although she has no real background with mindfulness meditation, she felt confident enough to step the family through it. And they had this wonderful connecting experience together out in nature that she wouldn't have had otherwise. And so that's really powerful um, and excites me about the impact that we're having at Uplift. I guess the third point I would make about your question about climate change is that uh, just last week, we released a lesson on activism. And this lesson was actually requested by one of our customers and not the parent. So I got an email from one, from, from a mother saying my eight-year-old daughter overheard uh, me and my husband talking about homophobia. And my daughter asked if we could do an uplift lesson on activism. And so, you know, more and more we're getting requests like that from customers and we went to work to put together you know, a lesson that would, Um, help a child of every age understand that they're a part of this world. Uh, They're connected to it in in all sorts of ways. And that they also have uh, a responsibility and an opportunity to shape it. Very good. I like that. I think this is both in the article and
0: also what you're doing at Uplift is building connections between different subjects. Um, Everything that you're doing at Uplift is, I can see, is very interconnected, you know, with the life topics and the virtues and the wisdom traditions. And there are many lessons that focus, for example, on a central teaching or practice. So in the world's wisdom traditions, for example, uh, I noted that in Christianity, the lesson that you have up now is on the parables and contemplation. Uh, for Buddhism, the focus is on the middle way. And I wanted to ask, how do you plan on expanding upon this? And do you make connections between what the traditions share, or is that something that you will do if you don't already do so?
1: It's a great question. Let's see. So I just I'm excited because I think I have all these comments i want to make about what you just asked on, so on the one hand when we look at when we look across the world's wisdom traditions we really see so many gifts that we really don't want humanity to lose and that our i guess our contention is that these traditions point us back to something that is universal and they do it through a unique language and um, unique kinds of rituals or you know, modes of expression, but that there's a common core and certain traditions are maybe more effective or have a special, a special gift to offer that the others don't. And so starting out, that's something that we wanted to highlight. And so in our, in our collection of like these mini lessons that touch on these different, um, traditions, that's what we're focused on. Um, I think for example, Taoism, Taoism. is, you know, we've kind of gone like in America, we've gone through certain cycles, like, like, um, you know, yoga was imported and you know, that's a Hindu practice in its roots and it's been, it's kind of gone through the American capitalist machine. And in many ways it's been stripped of um, its cultural history, rich cultural history and the philosophy around it. And, and in too many cases been reduced to like, you know, exercise. We, we were going through a, a, a surge of interest in meditation and with you know roots primarily in Buddhism, right? As that was, was imported uh, in like the 60s and 70s. And I suspect that we may see uh, an interest in Taoism and like practices like Qigong. And like Taoism Dao, is unique in its, uh, I think, ability to point us back to stillness. But also it, it touches into like the energetic body in a way that other traditions maybe don't speak to as clearly. And that that is passed down in an oral tradition of the martial arts, for example, and Tai Chi. Um, so anyway, that's just, a, I guess, a comment on uh, the gifts and the unique gifts that these traditions have. And I would say too that, you know, like ancient Greek philosophy is a wisdom tradition, Sophia, right, the love of wisdom. And uh, I think we have a lesson now in our library on stoicism, but we also uh, have in our queue a lesson on philosophy about asking big questions. And, um, you know, John, one of my co-founders really holds to this tradition and kind of represents that in our, in our team really well. And so there's a way in which I think we want to you know, round out and offer more of the full breadth of traditions that are out there and more and more identify yeah, where they intersect. So a lot of our lessons now are coming kind of bottoms up. And I think as you know, the library is getting very full, uh, I would suspect that as we go into the next year, you'll see us do more um, creating pathways and ways to move through the content and... Um, yeah, like you're saying, pointing out what's held in common across them. Uh, ultimately, I think part of part of my vision for uplift is that we will invite in experts, and maybe at a minimum of two kinds: clinicians, and also spiritual directors who have intimate, firsthand, inside-out knowledge of a tradition. They understand the cultural landscape and can speak to it really well, and that they. Um, can really begin to deepen the way that we um, offer and introduce people and step them through the gifts of these traditions.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about uh, the philosophers, uh, because I know you mentioned Aristotle uh, on the webpage, and I saw the mini lesson on Stoicism. So I'm very happy to know that you're, planning on including other philosophers and philosophies. And I think that's so important for kids because especially when they're younger, they have this natural proclivity to ask why on everything. Mm -hmm. And that's the central philosophical question. Um, And I know that uh, Christopher Phillips in his book, uh, Socrates Cafe, he describes taking philosophy into elementary schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe if I remember correctly, he said, you know, kids are the best philosophers, um, mm-hmm. because they're a little bit more free, you know, they don't have, they haven't accrued all of these belief systems, you know, that hold them down. Uh, they're just naturally curious. Yeah. So a couple more questions. Um, uh, one is, uh, the focus here is on the parents, definitely. Have you received any feedback from current members on how their spirituality might have deepened or changed
1: uh, as they worked with the curriculum of um, yeah. Uplift? Yeah, that's a great question. It's insightful. Uh, I mentioned earlier the preparation guide that we offer. Um, when we first put it out there, we like, we weren't sure like how many parents would would use it and how valuable it is. And we've been delightfully surprised that over and over again they chime in and say, "I knew I wanted to give my kids something. I didn't realize how helpful this would be to reflect on my values, what I believe, how I want to practice my version of spirituality." So there's a as a, just as an individual as an adult, it's been enriching for them, and then also in partnerships. Uh, they're having conversations with each other that they wouldn't otherwise be having. Like, well, what do you think about this topic? And are we on the same page? And 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 regardless of whether we're on the same page or not, like what do we feel comfortable uh, kind of moving forward with, with our with our kids? And so that's been really um, yeah, just just exciting to receive that feedback. And I think it, you know, I guess you talked about kids being so great at asking questions. And like I said earlier, you know, parents don't need to have the answers. Even the science bears that out. And like, that's kind of the, I think the point is like, let your kids questions invite you to revisit these questions again and again. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, your, your spirituality is alive.
0: Yeah. What is it that Jesus said, you know, to be like children, (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) you know, that's yeah. uh, Perfect. So, I wanted to ask you about some of the other team members, uh, the other co-founders of Uplift. Uh, if you could, um, I know this was a collaborative process. What can you tell us about them?
1: Yeah, uh, I mentioned John a, a moment ago. John, uh, John's background is as uh, a university instructor, instructional designer. He's a writer, and he has uh, such a, a gift in understanding. The world's wisdom traditions it's just been it's been a passion of his for probably a couple of decades now but of intense study over at least the last decade and um, I think the impetus to respond to the struggle and the pain that we were feeling among parents was also John's pain and so you know we're really like many great how many great businesses get started it's like you're just trying to solve your own problem and so um, that's john john also wrote a book um, which may, you know probably isn't as relevant to your listening audience um, in its particularity but it's it's a universal there's there's universal themes in it and it's it's a book called when mormons doubt mm-hmm. and so so john wrote a book to really kind of support folks in his native faith tradition who are navigating uh, questions of faith and belief. And, And he was just seeing too many families and close relationships that were disrupted by these shifts. And so he drew upon Plato's big three, truth, beauty, and goodness to say, Hey, these are universal in nature and can be a useful framework for understanding where, the communication breakdown is happening. Do you, you know, privilege goodness, and I privilege beauty, and that, that's where we're at odds, right? Um, so that's a bit about John. Amanda uh, is a mother of four. She's a school psychologist. So she brings that lens to the work that we're doing, and she just has such a gift for um, standing in the shoes of kids, right? So she 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 helps us understand, hey for a five-year-old, this is the way that they access this. And this is the scaffolding. Like if we, can, if we can layer in these building blocks now at this age, then when they're older, this conversation, you know, there's like a, there's a, a recursive or like, you know, it's revisited later in more complexity. And, and so, you know, Amanda brings that. And then there's Michelle, who's kind of like an anthropologist uh, at heart and her soul. And um, is, is actually currently getting her degree to be a, a psychotherapist and um, is also a mother of, of three kids and has this real gift with relationship. And so she's really helped us understand, um, you know, we, we test our product, right? So that's, <laughs> we, They test the product out on their own families. And, um, and so we get so many insights from, from Michelle in that way as well. Well, it sounds like an amazing team of
0: people that have come together uh, to produce something that I think is very necessary. So, uh, final question: What are some of the future plans for Uplift?
1: Ooh, yeah. Let's see. So, you know, as we've talked about at, at length today about our lessons, um, that's not. You know, that's that's only the beginning, right? And so, the lessons have the benefit of bringing parents and children together the whole family together if that's the way that they want to implement it we're also interested in what would it look like to offer independent learning for kids how do we offer more stories um, books um, yeah opportunities for them to just be in kind of narratives with characters that personify some of these ideas that they have that kind of in their system and working on them And so there may be an offering that we would introduce at some point around that. On the other end of the spectrum are, you know, the parents and maybe offering more in the way of skill and capacity building for parents. Uh, This could just take the form of courses that either we would produce or that we would co-produce with experts on any number of different topics. And um, I think that would mark a, a move that I suspect that we'll make over time, which is where Right now, we're, we're content curators, and to some extent, creating content. And over time, we may create more original content and move towards the container. So so while the, these concepts are important, all of the learning happens in relationship. And that's another principle of our approach. And um, by supporting parents in kind of their growth and development and and being able to draw upon all the different resources that we offer them in the most effective way. And with a reminder that like, and also you are the instrument, right? And like, and there's a way in which, you know, you've taken on a sacred responsibility to a stewardship, to be there for these souls who've been entrusted to you and are here for a purpose. And you get to, cr- to create the protected space for them to discover and become, you know, who they are on their deepest level. And we want to support that as well we talked a bit about community that's definitely like on our radar. Um, and, And maybe what ties all of this together is marrying the content to a practical method, a practical method of spiritual parenting that is a, is a middle way we're carving out a middle way between the traditional model of church as like kind of the exclusive approach. And then maybe the default on the other end being Uh, this this secular kind of consumer materialist American culture that our children are in otherwise and equipping parents with um, a method that they can, they can employ that goes beyond conscious parenting. It, It requires some degree of mindfulness, but it's applying that mindfulness to nurturing their children's natural spirituality so that it can blossom. And um, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately the vision is to, to be a system for intergenerational for the intergenerational transmission of timeless wisdom.
0: Well, I thank you for helping to uh, build a better world uh, for our children and for all of us. Uh, uh, So uh, the best place for people to go to if they want more information, uh, I would imagine, is the Uplift website, which is upliftkids.org. Correct. Uh, and is there uh, any other place that um, people can go to find out more information?
1: Yeah, the website's a great place for those that are um, inclined to use Instagram. We do have an Instagram account at upliftkids. And you can see a lot of fun um, comics and illustrations that we produce with our artist uh, Becca, for each of our lessons there as well. Okay,
0: wonderful. Well, Drew, thank you so much for your time. It was a great pleasure uh,
1: speaking with you. And I really do applaud you for what you're doing. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for giving us an opportunity to, to share what we're up to. Yeah, thanks absolutely. A lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thank you.
0: And that's a wrap on episode 15 of Rebel Spirit Radio. I wanted to make a few corrections of something I said in the interview. In our discussion, I mentioned a CEO of a textile company that changed his business after reading EO Wilson. The person I was thinking of was Ray Anderson, the former CEO of Interface Incorporated, the world's largest commercial carpet manufacturer. What led Anderson to change his business model and focus on sustainability and his company's impact on the environment was not E.O. Wilson, but rather Paul Hawkins' book, The Ecology of Commerce. Also, the phrase that changed everything for Anderson wasn't the death of life, but rather the death of birth. And with that said, thank you so much for listening or watching if you're viewing this on YouTube. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews really do help. And please consider subscribing. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. For the time being, I'll be releasing episodes every other week with the goal of releasing them every week in the near future. I'm also working on creating additional video content for the YouTube channel, including book reviews, educational videos on topics concerning spirituality, the history of religion, and the religious response to the climate crisis. If you would like to support my work in creating free and credible information on YouTube, please consider making a one-time donation via PayPal. You can find a link in the video description or the show notes. Your support makes this podcast possible. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your Rebel Spirit.